Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Friday, February 12th, 2021. This is Shannon, and I am here today with Sarah and with Brooke, and we are going to talk about books featuring siblings, and there are lots of them. Um, I have to say, before we start, I was looking for a really good, like, brother-sister book, because I have a younger brother, and I was hoping for something that would be sort (laughs) of, I don't know, like, adjacent to our, like, to the kind of relationship that I have with my brother, but I couldn't find anything. It made me sad. So we are going to dive into the usual housekeeping information. Then Brooke will start us off, followed by me. And lastly, Sarah. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. So my first book is The Prize Girl by Amy A. Green. And this book is about two sisters, Jenny and Virginia. And when Jenny was 14, she was a pageant queen. And she is murdered. And... This is really, really heartbreaking to the town because, as I said, she was the pageant queen and everyone loved her, of course. And the the police think it was kind of like a cut and dry kind of murder. They think it was one of um, the guys who really closely followed her pageant route and he just kind of became obsessed with her. But Virginia being her older sister, feels that um, that this is not the case. She feels that he is innocent and that there are some secrets that, are ha- that probably kind of went on and like situations that she herself dealt with when she was a teenager in, within the family and stuff like that. And she just feels that there's more to the story. So this book is kind of done um, within, like, in two different points of view. So we've got Jenny, and it's when, kind of leading up to when it happens. And then we've got Virginia now. And I'm not, I don't remember how far, like, at what point the book kind of starts with Virginia. So I don't know if it's several years later or if it's right after the death. I can't remember. But Pretty soon follow, after, I think. Yeah, so we follow Virginia, and she's kind of trying to figure out, like, what happened. And we're also learning what happened from Jenny. 
And that's really all I can tell you, because if I tell you too much more, I'm going to give you spoilers. So this was a really, really good book. I, it hadn't very, I, I really liked it. I, I wouldn't follow the uh, ratings or anything because I found it surprisingly really a lot better than the ratings. So it this is, low ratings, like lower than I would expect. I was really surprised that a lot of people did not really like this book, but I quite liked it. So Doesn't that just upset you yeah. so much? Like when you love a book and you're like, why doesn't everybody see what I see? I know, it's true. <laughs> I know. And- this is perfect if you love Sharp Objects by Gillian Flynn. Like this is one of the most perfect sort of read-alike um, options for sharp objects that I've ever seen. I agree. It's true. Okay, so my first pick is one that I am really, really excited to talk about. Um, it surprised me in so many ways. So this is kind of similar to what Brooke is talking about with the prized girl in that we're looking at the death of a sibling. But this is one of the good ones. And this is a young adult novel by Micah Mulit and Maritza Mulit. And they wrote um, Dear Haiti, Love Lane in 2020, which I have not read, but I've heard great things about it. And so I was really excited to pick this one up. But this is about a teenage girl. Um, Her family calls her happy. And (laughs) she is grieving the loss of her older sister, Kezi. And Kezi is this sort of like straight A student. She's one of those people that you think, you know, she just has like her whole life figured out. She knows who she is. She knows what she wants to do when she's out of school. But she goes to a protest. Um, If you think about some of the protests that happened in 2020 surrounding like the death of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, you can kind of understand the protest that Kezi went to. And as a result, Kezi is killed. And now Happy is left to kind of come to terms with who her sister really was as a person and to deal with everything that goes along with the idea that like once someone dies in a very public way, that they sort of belong to the world. So now Kezi is sort of everyone else's more than she is like Happy's sister or the daughter of her parents or the best friend of, you know, her friends from school. She is sort of idolized, put up on this really high pedestal and is kind of a a symbol to the world now of like what social justice should be. And this is hard for Happy. Um, because she and Kezi didn't get along very well when Kezi was alive. There was a lot between them that never was resolved. So Kezi had this um, road trip planned out that she wanted to take in the summer. And it was basically tracing what what are called sundown towns, which are towns that apparently were okay for black people to be in as long as the sun was up. But when the sun went down, things would happen that were very bad. Like people were often killed in these sundown towns if they were there when they shouldn't have been. And so Kezi, who cares a lot about the history of black people and kind of how 
how her family dealt with all these things, wanted to take this road trip and kind of trace the path that her family took several years ago. So Happy decides that she and her older sister are going to take this road trip kind of in Kezi's honor. And in so doing, Happy learns not only a ton about who she is as a person, but also some things about Kezi that she didn't know and just kind of what it means to be grieving and to be able to like take space for your own grief and healing. And then, and then the book takes a hard right turn that I cannot tell you about, but it surprised me so incredibly much. Um, It was just a direction that I was not expecting it to go. And I love everything that this book is. I love the way that it it starts and the way the authors allow it to unfold into something totally new and different. Um, if you haven't read it, if you are looking for some social justice themed reads that are also really relatable and have such authentic characters, I highly recommend this. It's one of the good ones and it's by Micah Mulit and Maritza Mulit. This sounds like a good book. Yeah, because you said it because you said it takes like a kind of a really big right turn it makes me wonder if one of them wrote the first part and one of them wrote the second part which is kind of would be kind of neat too yeah I don't think so from interviews that I've read I don't think that's how it was but it's certainly possible does anyone have a book from childhood that for their your whole life like it just sticks with you to the point where you have not been a child for many years, but you can still quote parts of the book. Yes. Yes. So for me, that book is Little Women. And that's not actually the book I'm talking about, but I'm going to say this. When I was a little girl, I got that book on tape for Christmas when I was six. Stacy and I did. And I mean, we just, oh, Little Women. We, and it was probably an abridged book looking back on it now. But when we were little, we didn't know that. And to us, it was like this magical story of these sisters. And so like whenever like a Little Women movie comes out or whatever, like we're always the first in line at the theater. So when we learned that Virginia Cantra was going to write or was going to um, release a book that is a modern interpretation with a twist of Little Women, and she was going to break it into two books. So the first one, and the book I'm going to talk about right now, is called Meg and Joe. And then she will have another one come out um, later this year called Beth and Amy. But Meg and Joe is kind of a modern, with a twist, Little Women. They have, they're all out in the world. They're all doing what they wanted to do. So, um, and, and in this, in this interpretation, um, all four sisters are alive. And, um, Joe has gone to New York city to live her dream of being a journalist. And she really, um, kind of crashed and burned. It wasn't what she thought it was going to be. And she, um, is struggling as a prep cook at this restaurant and also as a food blogger, which she can't really tell (laughs) the people in the restaurant because, um, (laughs) she could lose her job. So she's, kind of existing and struggling. Um, I don't want to talk too much about her love interest in this book because he is one of the coolest interpretations I've seen. 
Um, he is not the professor like in the main in, in little women, but it's just an amazing, beautiful story. So Joe is in New York city and Meg is living the life that she's always wanted to live. She's living with Mr. Brooke in, (laughs) yes, yes. And they have their adorable twin toddlers and they have the great house in the cute subdivision near Marmee. Her, their mother, but they all call her Marmy in North Carolina. And you think that everything, I mean, her life on the outside just looks so beautiful. And Meg feels like she's struggling and lacking. And she is, I think I really, um, I didn't really like Meg in little women necessarily. Um, but I really liked her in this interpretation. And, um, I felt like I could really, as a mom identify with some of the struggles that she went through and her worries, like, does my husband really love me? And, you know, is this life? I, I love my children. I love my husband, but is this, is this my life? And so Joe is in New York city. Meg is in North Carolina and they're kind of struggling. And then their beloved matriarch, their most, um, the person that has been the glue of their family forever, Marmy, their mom gets very ill. And Joe has to come home and help care for her because, you know, Meg's got her twins. She's got a lot going on and Joe has to take a leave of absence from her job. So it's kind of the story. Um, Beth and Amy are in the, like the periphery of the story, but of Meg and Joe kind of coming together to take care of their mom, who's really sick, but also how to kind of find their way back to each other because they've kind of grown apart and they think their lives are so different and like their dreams are so different. But as the story unfolds, you really realize that it's, it's really not as different as what you thought. And it's just the most beautiful book. And it's a book that I will definitely reread before um, Beth and Amy comes out in a few months. But um, just in case anyone's interested, the first line of little women is Christmas won't be Christmas without any presents. (laughs) <laughs> That's I'll never for, I'll never forget but yeah um I highly recommend it just really makes you think it might make you tear up a little bit it's like everything beautiful that I love with some romance thrown in and uh Mr. Brooke who is always kind of like mousy and boring in all of the like little women like in the story in the movies he's kind of a hot thing in this book I, I mean like in his like Mr. Brooke way I just really like the whole thing so pick up Meg and Joe by Virginia Cantra. It will make you very happy. I need this to book this. is actually on my um, on my TBR list. I, I downloaded it. So it's actually on my phone too. It's Ooh. really good. It's just, it's just the perfect, like the pacing is beautiful. The story is beautiful. Like the, the sisters as they like become closer together again and kind of find each other. So I have two books that are, that are, kind of almost similar titles so I'm gonna split them up with a book in between so our the first of the two is going to be the good daughter by oh you are doing this yay I am I am I am so this this, yeah so this book is about um two girls so it's a bit of family so we've got it's a family of lawyers and we've got Rusty, the father, and then we have Charlie and Samantha. So back in nine, so we're gonna go back in time. So back in 1989, um, Rusty is a lawyer, like he is in the in the in the in like 
in the present. present. But he's um so he's a lawyer and he likes to defend people like that are kind of I guess they're like people like murderers and rapists and thieves and stuff like that. So he likes to get like he likes to get kind of down and dirty. And so his house gets um, a firebombed and they end up having to move out to a farmhouse. And while they're living in this farmhouse, some people break in and they kill his wife and they drag the two daughters, Charlie and Samantha out into the field and Charlie gets away. But Samantha ends up getting left in a in a grave, and we don't know. Like this is kind of what happens in the preface, um, and we don't know. Like at the time, we don't know what's going to happen. So then we fast forward twenty eight. Uh, I think it's twenty eight years. Yeah. So we fast forward twenty eight years, and Charlie is a lawyer like her father, and she kind of she's she could be like she could work for big firms but she's kind of turned down those jobs she feels that she really her place is working kind of almost alongside her father but she kind of is there for people who really need um need a defense lawyer like she's always she's willing to kind of jump in and get down and dirty she'll go to places that you really shouldn't be in town like the kind of the sketchy areas Um, she's kind of willing to do the things that a lot of people aren't willing to do. And um, her marriage is kind of on the rocks and she decides that she's going to have a little bit of a fling. And while she's having this fling, she forgets her phone. And you're probably wondering why I'm telling you this story, but you'll get it soon. (laughs) So she had this fling and she forgets her phone. And the next day, she of course needs her phone because she's a lawyer. And so she goes to the local school to pick up her phone and there's a shooting and two, there's a double shooting and a young girl, a teenager who has an intellectual disability. Her name is Kelly. She is accused of the, um, of the crime. And of course, Rusty steps up because he feels that she's, that he really, really should be there to defend her. Um, but I don't really remember right now why exactly, but he decides to call his daughter, Samantha. Um, and, um, she's kind of, she's lost her husband and she's a, she's a patent lawyer, but she is kind of needing a bit of a break. So Rusty convinces her to come home and to take up Kelly's defense. So while this is all happening, Charlie and Samantha, they haven't really talked for like 20 years. Like just everything that happened to them back in 1989, it just kind of got really in between them. And they've got a lot of regrets and they've got a lot of like concerns and just things are, they've got their own things to work through both physically and mentally and emotionally. And so while this this book's, I really enjoyed it because you got, you had like the courtroom stuff, but you also had the way that the sisters kind of had to work together to work through 
their like their regrets and had to work through the problem like the situation that they had because this whole like as everyone can usually you think oh it's all like the past is going to stay in the past but as we all know that never happens right so they're kind of forced to face the past and like I loved 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 this book and I will admit I do love all of Karen Slaughter's stuff but I really really did love this book so this is The Good Daughter by Karen Slaughter love this I've heard that title before. It was good. It really was. It was they very, have very a, good. They have, um, they have a prequel, but you really don't have to read it. All right. So my next pick has kind of a silly title. Um, I think I kind of laughed when I talked about it back in December as one of my um, most anticipated December releases. But this is The Chicken Sisters by <laughs> KJ Delantonia. And this is a delightful book in every possible way. This is the story of a small town in Kansas. And in this town are two restaurants that make chicken. (laughs) And these restaurants are competitors, have been competitors for generations. So there's chicken frannies and chicken meanies. And you can only go to one of them. If you're a (laughs) frannies fan, you don't set foot in meanies, vice versa. (laughs) The problem with this is that these families, the two families that own the restaurant have been feuding for years. So our main character or one of our main characters is a young woman named Amanda. And Amanda was born to the woman who is now running Mimi's. But when she's in high school, she gets pregnant and she ends up marrying the son of the family who owns Franny's. And so this is very bad, very, very bad because her family sort of disowns her and she marries the son of the Franny family and she becomes a part of Franny's. And there's one scene where she tries to go back into Mimi's like to see her mom and her sister. And they're just like, no, you like, you don't belong here. You that's so sad. It is very sad. Like you, you belong to Franny's now, you know, go away. And so she goes away and she has two children. She has a complicated marriage, which is good in a lot of ways, but it's also in some ways not what she was expecting it to be. And when our story starts, her husband is gone. Her father-in-law is gone. So it's her and her mother-in-law and her two children that are now kind of working at Franny's. The people who run Mimi's are Amanda's mom. Um, whose name is Barbara, and she also has hired this guy named Andy to do some cooking for her. And Amanda is really looking for a way forward. She doesn't really know what that's going to be, but she knows that something has to change. And so she writes an email to this reality TV show called Food Wars. And she tells them the story (laughs) of Mimi's and Franny's and this like longtime feud between the two restaurants. So Food Wars is going to be filmed in Kansas, and it's going to highlight these restaurants. Oh, my God. Yes. As a result, Amanda's sister, May, who is this, um, like, personal organizer. So she's always, like, trying to tell people, you know, all the things that they have that are terrible, and you should just, like, throw it away, and it 
junky and you don't need to have this and this and this. <laughs> so she comes home because her mom feels like she needs someone to help her kind of be on the Mimi side for this, this show. And there are so many hard feelings between May and Amanda, um, some of which kind of are deserved, but some also just kind of happen because of this longtime family feud. Um, this is a story where the stakes are really high, but they're high in a way that feels like real and personal. So like no one is murdered, right? There's no like big like sabotaging thing going on. You know, it's, it's very much about these people and the stakes are high because they matter to these people. Like it's not huge and, and dramatic and over the top. Um, it is a rivalry for sure. There is like sibling rivalry that feels very, very authentic. Um, there are hidden family secrets. There are like longstanding regrets. There's lots and lots and lots of chicken. Um, <laughs> this is a book that I read in a day. I was also fortunate enough to chat with the author back in December shortly after this was released. And she is delightful. Her book is delightful. It's a book that I feel like is for everyone. Like it doesn't really matter what you read. There's something here for you. So like it's a Sarah book because it has a lot of family relationships and like hopefulness, but it's also like a Shannon Brooke Natalia book because it has kind of that like, secrets and the intrigue of like yes and of like the reality show um it's just it's so lovely and I think a lot of people um are likely to just to dismiss it because of the title I know like before I looked at what it was about I was just like what like that's a silly title chicken sisters yes (laughs) but it's just so so good and so if you've seen it and you've passed over it um please come back and give it a second look because it's totally worth it. If you get it on audio, it is read by the phenomenal team of Exy Sands and Cassandra Campbell. Oh my God. Um, I've read it. Natalia's read it now. Um, my partner, Christine has read it. This is just, it's such an incredible book. It's the chicken sisters and it is by KJ Delantonia. Oh my God. I, I have to read, to read the title. I want yes. it in my life. I want chicken meanie and chicken frannies in my life because I'm sure <laughs> yes. like one of them had to open first. Sort of. Yes. I mean, I don't want you to tell me. I'm just saying like, but it, you can't it never really know which because it's so like far back in the past, like the, the beginnings, the origins of these restaurants in a lot of ways, like feel lost. Like things just keep happening because they always have happened, not because anyone fully like understands why. They just know <laughs> they cannot. Never the two shall meet. Mm-hmm. That's funny. And there's no like real reason for it. It's just like you can't come in here anymore. <laughs> That's so sad. It is sad. That part did make me really sad. So now, my beloved friends, let's go back to London. London. And talk about some steampunk. <gasps> Magic and vampires. Magic and, and sexy vampires and um, steam-powered conveyances and, and all the other gloriousness of the steampunk world. And siblings who are close yes. and protected and such a beautiful story. 
So the book that I'm going to talk about, and I have talked about this book before, we're just going to be honest, but I'm covering it from, I'm, I'm going to look at it from a different angle today. So it is Kiss of Steel by the amazing, and in my opinion, not highly acclaimed enough, Beck McMaster, who I love. And Kiss of Steel is a, it is a steampunk novel set in kind of Victorian London. And in this book, there are kind of different classes in London. So there are the blue bloods who are like, for the most part, all of the like upper echelon of society, mainly males who have been purposely infected with something called the craving virus. And they get infected with the craving virus when they're around the age of 15 and it changes something inside them. They, they drink blood like vampires. However, in this world, vampires, you don't want to become a vampire. So you have to monitor what are called your craving levels, your CV levels. And if they get super high after, you know, like a century or so, you can turn into a vampire, which is like this hairless creature that runs on all fours and can like destroy half of a London street faster than people can save the day. So the blue blood part of being a blue blood is great, but as you age and turn closer to becoming a vampire, it is not good for you. And then there are the humans who are, so the, the, the women like in the upper echelon of society they call them thralls. You can, you can sign a thrall contract. And so the, the thrall lives with one of the blue bloods and the thralls provide blood and like genteel company. And they can either just give them their blood rights or their flesh rights as well. So there are the thralls. Then there are um, the mechs and the mechs are humans who for some reason have a mechanical body part of some sort. So um, a mechanical hand, Um, Some of them have like mechanical lungs, a mechanical leg, but all of them live in this very uneasy London. It's kind of like never all of them shall meet. There are very, very specific classes of people. So this book focuses on three siblings, Honoria and Lena and Charlie. And their father was a scientist working for one of the Blue Bloods. And all of a sudden, one day in the middle of the night, he wakes Honoria and says, get your brother and sister and run. So they have lived always kind of in this upper echelon of being pampered. Well, I mean, not pamp, but, you know, like money and comfort and, yeah. and ease. And then all of a sudden they lose their way of life and they have to go hide in the Whitechapel district, which is the rookery which is run by um, Blade, who is a blue blood who um, was accidentally infected. So he's called a rogue blue blood and he monitors all the gangs. He keeps the streets safe. He has like guards that patrol and he runs the rookery. So Honoria who was a scientist's daughter, who is a scientist herself, very intelligent, what you'd call a blue stocking, is now doing everything she can to protect her younger sister, Lena, and her little brother, Charlie, who 
has been infected with the craving virus and is fighting against it. Because in Honoria's mind, the craving virus is bad and you don't need to have blood and you can overcome the craving virus. But Charlie is really not in a good way. And so Honoria is working very hard. She's trying to protect her family. She's trying to keep a roof over their heads. She's teaching young women of society, like basically like elocution and how to be appropriate and proper ladies. And she's floundering. She's not making the rent. Her brother is because of the craving virus is taking all this money from the doctors. Um, I mean, the doctors are taking all this money to try to help him. And um, she ends up having to go to the most notorious man in the rookery blade who I love to make a deal to save her family. And so I talk a lot about, um, I've talked a lot about like the steampunk aspect. I've talked about like, oh my God, the sexy vampires and, and werewolfen that are werewolf type people, but they're not really. And just these really interesting creatures. But what I love about these books and the relationship of the siblings span all of the London steampunk series, and then her spinoff series, the Blue Blood Conspiracy series, and just the relationship these siblings have and how they went from having everything to nothing and how all of them have this innate loyalty to each other. And so like, yes, the romance in this book is amazing and Blade is hot and like everything about it is wonderful. But what I really love about these books is the, the continued attachment, the continued bonding of the siblings and the growth of their relationships. So I really, because I've been reading Beck McMaster nonstop for a couple of weeks, I just finished the last book in, in her other spinoff series, um, the blue blood conspiracy. I felt like I needed to talk about her, but if you like vampires and a really interesting twist on kind of a steampunk London, with siblings and really, really hot blue bloods and so many other really interesting and creative world building. I highly recommend kiss of steel. It's by Beck McMaster and she's like my hero. And I just wish like I could go and have coffee with her and have her tell me all about like all her series. Cause she's amazing. She I actually amazing. downloaded this book. Did you, Ooh, did you, I, did. It's, I, did. It is I a... downloaded it when Stan, I think Stacy was reading it. And it yeah. sounded really interesting. So I downloaded it. I'm excited to read it. So my next book, I'm going to stick with magic. And we're going to do <laughs> Magic for Liars by Sarah Gailey. And this book is about twin sisters. Ivy. And, yep. If I didn't mention that part. So no. I, yeah, I know. That's so bad of me. So we've got Ivy and Tabitha. And so twins, they kind of do everything together. They were born together. They do everything together. But there's a big difference between Ivy and Tabitha. Tabitha has magic and Ivy does not. Uh And all of of Ivy's life, she's kind of been trying to convince herself that like she doesn't care about magic. It really doesn't matter to her that she doesn't have it that she really doesn't want to deal with the crap that Tabitha has to deal with because she has magic. And she's just kind of been trying to convince herself of this. But we all know how that goes, right? 
So Tabitha works at a private school for magic, um, for magic people. And Ivy is a private investigator. So one day while at her office, um, Ivy, she kind of just does the usual private investigator stuff. But the headmaster of Tabitha's school shows up at her office and asks her to come and do an investigation. A teacher was found cut in half in the library. I know. Thanks. Yeah. (laughs) Like literally cut in half in the library. Mm -hmm. And it was first thought that it was just a, like a spell gone awry, but they're kind of wondering if it might be a little something um, worse, maybe murder. So the headmaster, exactly. So the headmaster, because you know, (laughs) so the headmaster wants her to come and to spend some time at the school and she wants her to investigate. So Ivy heads to the school and she begins her investigation. And one thing about this magic school is you you, everyone's probably thinking like Hogwarts, right? Well, a lot of the magic that Sarah Gailey has in her book is more like common magic. So like um, being able to do your hair, um, being able to magically pass notes. So like more like the mundane kind of things. So I thought that was kind of interesting because like that's a different take on magic because it's not that glitz and glory sort of stuff. So I thought that was interesting. So Ivy is doing her investigation and while this is all happening, it gives her an opportunity to learn more about her, like, about Tabby's life. And, like, what kind of situations does she deal with every day? Um, what kind of person is Tabby? And it's really been a good experience for her because the sisters kind of get to know each other more and they, they're able to kind of work on their relationship. I really liked the, like, the interactions they had. And it was just, I, I really liked the whole sibling aspect of the book. So this is Magic for Liars, and it's by Sarah Gailey. I keep meaning to read this. So my next book takes us away from magic Aww. and <laughs> onto the streets of Philadelphia, um, where like a lot of things happen, but none of them are magical. So I am talking about Long Bright River by Liz Moore. Yes, this is, I think, one of the best books of 2020. I love the title. Um, It it, was so good. so, so excellent. Unfortunately, it is not a Sarah book. It is not a Sarah book. That's okay. (laughs) Not everybody wants to read Sarah books. (laughs) But Sarah does. So this is the story of two sisters. Mickey and Casey and they grew up together in Philadelphia and were in a lot of ways very very close their childhood was pretty troubled for reasons that I can't get into here but there was a lot going on for them and they were kind of each other's like port in a storm but then Casey gets hooked on drugs and she is now living on the streets and she and Mickey don't talk anymore And Mickey is a police detective and she is kind of like keeping an eye on Casey, but sort of stealthily, like she's 
always just kind of like walking around, keeping an eye on like the homeless women, the prostitutes who are working the streets. And although she has a lot of resentment toward Casey for the addiction and for everything that the addiction sort of put their family through, she also really still cares about her, doesn't want bad things to happen to her, even though there's a part of Mickey that thinks given Casey's lifestyle, like this is just sort of inevitable that eventually like something's going to happen. And then of course something does happen and Casey disappears. So now Mickey is working this case that really she has no business working because she's pretty sure that Casey is one of the victims here. And she really wants to find out what happened, like who is responsible for Casey's disappearance and how does it tie in with this string of murders that is now happening in this neighborhood where Casey used to live. Um, in a lot of ways, this is a police, bleh. in a lot of ways, this is a police procedural novel, but it's also kind of a, a family drama. Um, it looks at the effects of the opioid addiction, not only on like individual people, but on the community as a whole. Um, it looks at the way it is decimating big cities and causing just so much trouble, both for people who are addicted and also to those who care for them. Um, it's a mystery at its core, and yet it has so much more to offer than just sort of what you would expect from a crime novel. It, it is a big kind of sweeping story because it, it looks at all aspects of these characters' lives. And you learn a lot about, you know, the ways in which people are raised and how this affects people, how you can be raised in the same environment and turn out to be the two totally different people in the ways that Casey and Mickey have done. Um, we see things from Mickey's point of view almost exclusively, although we do go back in time to when they're children and we kind of get to see how they grew up and we get to see what things were like for them when they were close as sisters. Um, Liz Moore is such a talented author. She's only written a couple of books and I really hope that we get more from her sometime soon. I spoke to her um, in early 2020 and she's just so so smart and insightful if you haven't read this I highly recommend it as I said I think it really is one of the best books of 2020 this is Long Bright River and it is by Liz Moore I totally agree with you it was definitely one of my top tens yes so or good. even top fives that might even have been I really like the title it's a good title I agree for a great book so you want to know what else is a really great title what yeah is whiskey chaser bootleg springs number one by claire kingsley and lucy score yes so title. claire kingsley and lucy score got together and they wrote a series of books so each author they would switch off and they would write like they would alternate and write a different book and it is, it flows so well and so amazingly. You would never know that two authors wrote the books. Like the characters are the same in all the books. Like there's no like discrepancy and it's just the most amazing series. So let's talk about Whiskey Chaser, the first book. 
which focuses on the youngest sibling in the Bodine family in Bootleg Springs, West Virginia, home <laughs> of bootleg whiskey from the 20s and a pet chicken. Oh, so the I pet chicken could have gone to the chicken sisters town, except for that, you know, chicken Franny's or chicken Mabel's or whatever it was might have eaten. Was it chicken? Mimi? Mimi, it was, sorry. Yes. <laughs> so this series focuses on the Bodine family. And the Bodine family is um, a very well-known family in town, but not always for good things. They grew up a little rough. Um, their parents were married right after high school. Um, their mom got pregnant with the oldest Bodine brother. And so the father um, stepped up and did what he felt he needed to do and proposed to her. So they both kind of put their dreams on hold. The, the, the father was an amazing musician and could have really done some great things and couldn't. So there was a lot of like resentment, even though sometimes they loved each other and they loved each other enough to have uh, three boys and a girl or at least they, they, they liked each other enough to make that happen. Let's just say, but it was a very rocky, tumultuous childhood for them. Um, at the very beginning of whiskey chaser, the, the father of the Bodine family has died and he is sadly a pretty, he was, um, very addicted to alcohol and, um, he died from just so much alcohol that, you know, it just, it just killed him. And his, he, his daughter, Scarlett Bodine is the one that found him. And, and she is probably the closest to him in the family. They work together. They do like, home repair and they do many, many things in town, home repair, some landscaping. She's a carpenter and she's really struggling because she's suddenly lost her father who she's had a tumultuous relationship with. And it's, it's hard for her because her brothers aren't as broken up about it as she is because they had kind of a different relationship with their father. Their mother has been dead for several years. She got in a car accident when um, Scarlett and her, so a couple of her siblings were young, like in early high school, late junior high. And so Scarlett goes to clean out her parents' house now that her father has died. And she finds a box in the attic that has some information that's related to a cold case that has been part of bootleg springs lore for many years since she was a young teenager. And the cold case involves a young woman who um, is one of the summer people who comes in the summer. They have like summer homes there and then they're, they leave. And this young girl vanished in their town. And I mean, it's like a huge deal. Like her poster, her, her like, like, um, missing poster is still up all over town, even though she'd definitely be an adult now. And so Scarlett is trying to process this information that her father has these items in a box in his house that are kind of inflammatory to the case. Like they're going to have to reopen the case and, and start, 
delving into the disappearance. Oh. I know it's really, yeah, it's no the, good. <laughs> no. And so while they're processing all this stuff, Scarlet is trying to kind of still work through all of her relationships with her, with her three older brothers. Um, of course she has a love interest in the book, Devlin, who is a very political guy who has hit rock bottom and has come to his grand, I think it's his grandmother's home. It might be his great aunt, but I think it's his grandmother. So his grandmother's home and bootleg Springs kind of lick his wounds, figure out his next steps because his political career has kind of been ruined. And Scarlett decides, well, damn it. He's going to be welcomed. He's going to become a member of this community and she's going to bring him back to life. She's just going to take care of him and she's going to do it. She's a dance on the bar, drink several shots of whiskey type girl. And he is like, oh, very polished and refined. And how are they going to meet? And how is he going to fit into this town? But really this story. So the Bootleg Springs series is, of course, romance. But there is so much character development and like sibling development between the Bodine siblings as they go through kind of these stages of like anger and grief and, and shock and disbelief that their parents hid this information about this cold case that maybe could have helped this young woman in their house forever. So the cold case mystery goes through all of the books and will we or will we not learn the fate of the woman on the one, on the uh, missing poster? Well, I hope Do you so. Think, well, I hope so too. <laughs> but this is it. There are yeah. six, six books. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I literally read them in like a week and a half. I could not stop. I binged them all. It's again, another series where they weren't all out on Audible and I had to read the last couple on my Kindle with my screen reader on my phone, the awful voice reading my books because they were that good. And I could not wait for them to come out in audio. So um, if you want a really fun, I'm not always a small town romance person, but when small town romances are done well, they're like amazing. And I love the town. I love the people in the town. I love the sibling character development. Please read Whiskey Chaser, Bootleg Springs, number one by Claire Kingsley and Lucy Score. Excellent. How are there six books if there are only three boys and a girl? Yeah, because two of the books are about the sheriff in the town, his daughters. Oh, okay. And one of them is about somebody else that I can't talk about. Oh, okay. there are six books, okay. right? Not five. Yeah, there are six. I don't there know. Six. Six. There <laughs> are six. There are six. I just I had know. a moment. No, there are six. So my last book is The Good Sister by Jillian McAllister. She has an orange cat. She's my favorite. She does? Yes. How do you I just know think she it's has hilarious. an orange cat? I think it's hilarious that that's the first thing that Shannon mentions about this author <laughs> all the time. I think mm. it's the most <laughs> awesome thing ever. Because it says on her on her website all about her cat. And so when I interviewed her, I told her that I used to have an orange cat and I didn't have them anymore. And so I really would like it if she would tell me about hers. And so she did. That's so See, cool. If it were me who was trying to say that, 
it would have turned into like a blubbering like you have an orange kid and i used to have one (laughs) (laughs) and this book is about two sisters becky and martha so martha she runs a like she's starting a charity and she's got a really young baby um, named Layla. And Layla. Becky... <laughs> and Becky is not working. So Layla, she has colic, like she cries a lot. And she's just making it really rough. Like Martha, she feels like she needs a little bit of extra help. So she asks her sister to come and help her. And she hires her as, as a part-time nanny. And while kind of organizing this charity, she has to do like an out-of-town trip. So Martha asks Becky if she'll stay with Layla, and she agrees. And at the same time, her um, Martha's husband, um, Sam, I think his name's Sam, he's also away. So it's just Becky. So Becky is taking care of Layla, and something happens, and... Layla is found dead. Oh, God. And she's only eight weeks old. So now we fast forward nine months, and Becky is on trial for the death of Layla. And while this is all, ha- like, this whole case is just so hard, right? Because you can only imagine your sister's on um, going to, on, your sister is on trial for the death of your daughter, right? And it's just really rough. And the parents, they don't know what to do. They want to support their daughters, but the daughters are on two different sides. But at the same time, Martha, she doesn't believe that Becky did anything. Like she doesn't, she, she doesn't believe it. But at the same time, as she keeps hearing things in the trial, she begins to wonder. So you can only imagine what kind of drama is happening in this family. It's really hard to describe this book because I can't really give a lot out about it. But some really interesting and not great things kind of happen. And it's just a really, I loved the court case. I loved the relationship between the sisters. I thought it was really interesting to see like how the different lines are drawn and like how do parents um, and like the whole idea of like how do parents pick sides or like how like can you pick sides so I really liked it so this is The Good Sister by Jillian McAllister and I wish I could say more but like I would totally give spoilers if I touch it's hard to say more what I will add is that I love how there are chapters that are like from the perspective of different witnesses so you see things from like all sorts of points of view even if you don't like you don't know a lot of the witnesses well. You just see them, like, they come in, they tell, like, what they have to tell, and they're gone. Yeah. But I love, like, all the lenses that we see people through. So aside from having an orange cat, I will tell you that McAllister um, was a lawyer before she started writing. And so a lot of her books um, focus on, like, the law and the courts. And I just think she's very awesome. I love her books. So my last pick takes us back to the realm of magic Yay. and Yay. is a little bit of like an alternate 
I don't know. Like, we're going to spend time in an alternate Paris after the French Revolution. Ooh. Yes. So my last pick tonight is A Court of Miracles. This is the first book in the Court of Miracles trilogy by Kester Grant. This is sort of a, if you look at Les Mis and you look at like what happened after, like what happened after the revolution and the Court of Miracles tells that story in sort of a different way. So this is a very Ebonine uh, focused <gasps> novel, My which favorite. is very cool. Yes, I love Ebonine. Because usually like Cosette is sort of at the like the heart of any kind of lameage retelling. She wins the day. She's everyone's favorite. Not mine. But no, no, Ebonine. So this is the story of Nina. And Nina is part of this sort of underbelly of France, which is known as the Court of Miracles. And this is made up of nine guilds. And all of these guilds do sort of illegal things. Um, Like there's one for sort of like blackmail and there's a thieves guild. (laughs) And there's like a, I forget what they call it, but sort of like a sex trade guild. And so Nina is a thief. And she is trying to figure out kind of what is going to become not only of her, but of her foster sister, who is known as Eddie. Um, Her actual name is Cosette, of course, but she's called Eddie here. And she is kind of this, like, very young-seeming, like, innocent person. Um, Nina is not really sure that Eddie can manage to take care of herself. Like, she's not going to be very successful in like the world of of all these guilds so this is kind of the like the the people who wouldn't be considered aristocracy are the people who take part in the guilds and then of course you have all of the aristocrats that were supposed to be kind of gotten rid of with the french revolution but in this world it didn't quite work out that way so the court of miracles is kind of battling it out with the aristocracy for sort of the right to determine their own place in the world. But there's also a bunch of infighting here. And as a result, Eddie is taken. And now Nina has to decide where her loyalties lie kind of once and for all, and whether or not she can do what is necessary to save her sister. So this is, like I said, Les Mis um, with a totally different spin put on it. Like you see the little nods to Les Mis, kind of like Sarah was talking about with Megan Joe. Like you see little things that sort of you can go, oh yeah, like this is, you know, this must be the, the innkeeper character. Or, you know, this is this like, um Javert like there's all these different things that you are able to kind of pick out but the story in and of itself is very different from the Les Mis that so many of us know and love this is a book that I had heard about for a couple of years before it was actually published and it was pushed back a couple of different times um I kind of wondered if it was actually ever coming out but it finally came out last year and I'm so glad it did I am now really eager to pick up the rest of the series whenever it comes out so that I can see what becomes of Eddie and of Nina. So this is A Court of Miracles, Court of Miracles book one by Kester Grant. Is this a Brooke book? Yes. Cool. 
I don't another one that's kind of like an everybody book because it's told in a very like young adult fantasy way but it also has like really good world building and romance and if you're a Les Mis fan like that is sort of an added layer of excellence um it's just so good I am so excited to talk about the final book I'm um I hate to say to talk about the final book I'm talking about because that sounds like very redundant but Stacy talked about this book before and she tried to say the title <laughs> and she had a laughing attack. Um, again, it's another book that she read because of me. Cause she doesn't, I usually am the one on the podcast to be like, Oh, Stacy, you were so right. And I was wrong, but she loved this. And I kept forcing her, but we are going to talk about beauty and the mustache, which I love the name <laughs> beauty and the mustache knitting in the city book four. By Penny Reed. Philosophical romance, it says. Yes, a philosophical romance. (laughs) Yes. It's called Knitting in the City. That's awesome. Well, Knitting in the City is the title of the series. And I will not digress for long, but I will say this. It is a wonderful series. And the names, like the first one is um, Neanderthal Seeks Human. And like her names make the books sound like they're the most like rom-com, joyous romp in the city. And they're not, there are funny parts, but they are, oh, I, I cry in everyone. And Penny Reed is just another author for me that like, is just kind of a goddess of books, but let's talk about beauty and the mustache knitting in the city book four. So Ashley Winston, she is a former like beauty pageant winner. She is from a small town in Tennessee and she fled this small town to go to the city eight years ago to get away from her six kind of overbearing uh, bearded brothers who just in a side comment are the series, the Winston brothers series. So um, really, really amazing group of brothers, but they're overbearing and kind of loud and kind of like interfering in her life. And, but she leaves the small town in Tennessee because mainly her brothers, but also her father is a terrible garbage human being, not a nice person, Uh everything negative, um, about like a motorcycle gang president is her father. He's not Uh a nice person. And I like a lot of motorcycle gangs, but this was not a nice one. And her father was not nice to her mother, to Ashley or to her six brothers. He was a terrible person. And so Ashley left and went to the city And really has kind of lost touch with her brothers and kind of just went on to do her life. But then her mother gets very ill and Ashley has to come back to her small town in Tennessee to help take care of her mother. And so she has to kind of reintegrate into this home with her six brothers. And I mean, it's, they're like, oh my God, they're so like precious and awkward and like, you know, there's like a downstairs bathroom under the stairs and she busts in one time and there's like a girly magazine on the counter. They have like a whole like weekly (laughs) schedule of who gets to be in the bathroom at certain days, you know, it's like their private time. And, um, you know, they're just kind of, they're not like the big city guys, you know, they're like very like mountain small town. At least that's how she sees them. And where's the terrible father, the terrible father, is 
I believe in prison at the beginning of this series. Ah, okay. Um, he's not around. Okay. And her mother is a beautiful soul, a beautiful, loving, loving soul who loves her children, who loves, is passionate about books, just a beautiful soul. And she has all these like funny, I mean, not funny, like, <laughs> but like funny sayings about like your skincare and your, like, she just has all these things that she says and she'll be like, Ashley, and she like, come here. And she makes her like lean down. And then she like imparts this like wisdom. <laughs> so Ashley is home and she thinks she's just going to be there for like a, you know, just a short amount of time to like help her mom to um, just be there. And the longer she's there, she realizes how much she hurt her brothers by like leaving and kind of, even though she's always loved them, she's kind of cut them out of her life. And so this book is a lot about family healing and growing. Um, There is of course a romance with a gameskeeper named Drew and it's a beautiful romance. And he's just like one of the sweet heroes who like is kind and has a poet soul and can wrestle bears and like just loves her so much. But um, for me, this book really, even though I loved like the relationship between Ashley and Drew, what really drew me to this book was the growth of the relationship between Ashley and her siblings, her six bearded kind of overbearing brothers. And Ashley really has to come to a decision, you know, do I want to go back to Chicago, go back to my home, go back to everything that I thought that I wanted, or do I want to stay in this small town in Tennessee that I couldn't get away from fast enough because everything that I want is actually here. Um, Beauty and the Mustache, Knitting in the City, book four, really amazing book. Penny Reed, all of her books to me are just very smart and very insightful and I think a lot of times people kind of tout them as like romantic comedy, but to me, I mean, they do make me belly laugh, but they also make me cry and they make me think. And I really, really love Penny Reed. Well, this brings us to the end of our sibling episode. Thank you to Sarah and Brooke for coming up with such great, great picks this week. Thanks, as always, goes out to Christine for all of her editing and also for putting up with me bursting out of my bedroom in utter delight when I was reading The Chicken Sisters and proclaiming (laughs) very loudly that everyone, like literally everyone, needed to read this right now. And (laughs) thanks, of course, to all of you who join us as we talk about all the fantastic books that we love. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. 
take care, everybody. Thank you.